Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and with sunny weather just around the corner, you might be starting to think about buying an affordable two-seat convertible sports car. And the good news is you have some solid choices, like the early models of the BMW Z3, the Porsche Boxster, the Mercedes SLK Roadster, along with several generations of the ubiquitous Mazda Miata. But one convertible sports car you may not have thought of recently came from Saturn. No, not the planet, the former GM brand. And this great-looking, fun-to-drive convertible Roadster was sold over a four-model-year run, and with 34,000 built, there's still quite a few on the road to choose from. And in a moment, I'll tell you what it is and why you might want one. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. So the focus of today's episode is the Saturn Sky Convertible, sold in the U.S. for model years 2007 through 2010. But what I really want to talk about is its extra crispy turbocharged sibling, the Saturn Sky Redline. And to help me drill down into the details, I'm joined today by Lauren Campbell. Lauren is an IT consultant, a mountaineer, a fellow automotive enthusiast, and he also happens to be a friend of mine that owns a 2008 Saturn Sky Redline. So, Lauren, welcome to Better Than New. Thank you very much, Gary. We've been trying to get you on the show for for quite a while, and here it is. Finally, the day has arrived. So, tell us a little bit about your car. You bought it in 2008, or 2007, actually. Yeah, I ordered the car from a dealer in San Jose in June of 2007. At that point, the dealers in our area, Seattle area, had about a two-year waiting list. Seriously? To get an open order allocation for a, especially a turbocharged Saturn Sky. So I talked to the dealers here in town and decided I didn't want to wait two years and started calling out kind of in concentric circles. Mm -hmm. And when I got to San Jose, I found a dealer who had an allocation and was willing to let me order the car I wanted. Wow. Okay. And you ordered a... Well, just tell us a little bit about the car. It has almost all the options, except the spoiler and the automatic transmission, which was actually more expensive than the standard transmission at that point. Well, at least the good news was it came standard with a manual. And you could get a manual. <laughs> yes, yeah, which isn't... Is <laughs> 16 really years later, it's yeah. a little bit of a strange thing to be able to get a manual. It's kind of hard to do now, yeah. Yes, and that was kind of a showstopper for me. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy the more immersive driving experience of a standard transmission automobile. Now, if I'm sitting in traffic commuting to work, I'm happy yeah, to sure. have my automatic. Yeah. But to go out and drive for fun... It's just a more engaging experience, I think. Well, would you have bought this car if it was a automatic only? I don't think I would have. Right. I, I really don't think I would have. I bought in 1991, as I was graduating from college, a 87 Fiero GT, which I still have, and that is an automatic. So I the had blue one. Yeah. yeah, I had that base covered, you know, the sort of weird little two-seater sports car in an automatic transmission. And I wanted something with a with a standard transmission. Well, sure. I always recommend on the podcast, if you can get a manual, get one. Like I said, it's a much more engaging driving experience. But also, if you haven't driven a manual yet and you don't know how to drive one, you know, it's probably time. I don't care if you're 18 or 28 or 88, it's time to drive one. Completely agree. One of my peak parenting experiences so far has been when my youngest daughter picked out her first car with a standard transmission. 
which she didn't know how to drive. Perfect. And said, I am going to learn. And she did. And she's probably a better driver. She probably pays more attention when driving. Yes. You can't be playing with your cell phone. You can't be twisting knobs and putting on makeup and eating a hamburger while you're trying to drive a manual. You are more immersed and it's mandatory. Right. If you want to move. Right. Yeah. So you're just going to sort of the opposite there. end of the Tesla spectrum at this point, right? Exactly. Speaking of Teslas, I think my sister called me the other day, just yesterday, and she said, I got rear-ended by some girl in a Tesla who was reading her emails. I'm like, of course she was. <laughs> she was probably on autopilot, too. Yes. Maybe we need to talk to Elon about selling Teslas with standard transmissions. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> you know, I've often wondered, you know, with this whole electric revolution, I mean, electric motors work well in, they're really not even an automatic. A lot of them are just a single speed. But you could make a manual car with an electric engine and use the gears to, you know, it would be interesting. In the Fiero Club for a while, we had a young kid who had done an electric conversion on his Fiero. Did he do a manual or? Yes. Oh, he did. It had a manual transmission. Okay. That young man now works for Tesla, unsurprisingly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and he sold the Fiero. But yeah, that's, I, I think that that's completely it, reasonable. It, it makes sense to me. But, you know, there's a lot of people who don't want to have a manual transmission. So. Yes. So let's dig into your car a little bit and some of the details. And tell me what you think makes that car great. From your perspective, what makes it a great vehicle? Well, I'll tell you about my initial experience, which is that I saw it in a magazine. Okay. I had seen the Solstice, which is the sister car. The Pontiac Solstice. The Pontiac Solstice. was actually two more. The Opel GT sold in Europe. And that was really more of looked like the Saturn Sky Redline. It had the Saturn Sky bodywork. And the much lesser known Daiwu G2X. Right, for Korea. For Korea. I think it's an example of GM taking a similar platform and building two cars that are different enough that they appealed to different people, which they, in my youth, Mm -hmm. in the 80s, often didn't do. The Mercury Capri and the Ford Mustang were nearly identical vehicles. The Solstice has that sort of vintage Porsche speedster curve, you know, the smooth curves. I'm a curves and lines guy. I like a crease in my fender. Mm -hmm. And the sky has those kind of creased fenders like the Corvettes have gone back to with the C7 and the C8. Yeah. I actually like the sky better than, and I probably shouldn't say this, but it's sort of like 4852 percentage wise but i like the saturn sky redline better i just like the look of it better and i think it's i don't know if it's aged better but it it's definitely a good looking car i liked it from the moment i saw it and when i saw it was a saturn and a gm product my first thought was well it's going to be gutless <laughs> yeah the fiero the original you know 98 horsepower yeah. in the in the little iron duke the iron duke four cylinder <laughs> yeah and I, I looked it up and, and realized, wow, the, the turbo makes 260 horsepower and 260 foot-pounds of torque out of it's a lot. two liters. Right. Which, back then... It's a lot. Well, it was two things about it. One, it was the first direct-injected engine that GM put in a mass-produced automobile. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. It was also, at the time, the highest per-liter output engine that GM had ever put in a production car. Okay. 130 horsepower per liter. Yeah. Put that in an eight-cylinder car. Yeah, that's going to go. And once I realized, wow, this thing, I really like how it looks, and it's performance-oriented, I thought, man, it's going to be out of my 
budget. You know, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford <laughs> yeah, this. It's going to be expensive. It looks good and it goes fast. And I, when I looked it up, I found, wow, I can be out the door for $33,000. Right. With and this I think, car. didn't it start at around 25, 26? Yes. The Solstice had fewer standard features and they were really trying to get the starting price of the Solstice under $20,000. And, and it was, was very, the, very close. The Solstice, the standard model or the GXP? The, that would have been the standard model. The standard model, okay. The Saturn version had more standard features in the normally aspirated or the turbo okay. and a higher starting price. But still, $33,000 for that car. For that kind of performance. For that kind of performance. And, and just, just so listeners know, I've driven this car, and it's quick. It's really quick. And I think you've actually modified it since I drove it. I have. I, I drove it stock. <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> for about a year. And stock, it's about, it was about a six-second, zero to 60 car. I think some road tests have been down in the mid-fives. Yep. You know, yep. Five-three, five-four-ish. GM then offered a on-warranty tune, which was software and a mass airflow sensor. Okay. And that took the standard transmission car to 290 horsepower and 340 foot-pounds of torque. 340? 340. Really? Yeah, and we're talking about two liters here. Wow. So I got that, had that installed, and had fun (laughs) with that for quite a few years, uh, six, seven years, and then ended up getting a slightly larger turbo and a high-flow cat and a little bit different intercooler for it. Once it was off warranty, I wasn't worried about an right. off-warranty tune anymore, so I got a little bit more aggressive okay. tune for it. And so what is it? Do you have any idea what kind of... I have not had it on a dyno. Okay. 350 horsepower, 375 wow. torque, something like that. One of the great things about the car, which I didn't know when I bought it, is that the driveline is really good to about 400 horsepower, 400 foot-pounds of torque That's stock. impressive. That's really impressive. Do not have to do anything with the crank bearings, the transmission, GM's sort of go-to Eisen five-speed transmission out of the Chevy Colorado pickup truck. Uh, Yeah, I did read that somewhere, that it's out of the pickup truck. Okay. There's a lot of the car that is parts bin. Okay. Big pieces and... Beefy stuff. Yeah. Yes, absolutely beefy stuff. So I haven't had to do anything to beef up the driveline as I bumped up the power in the car. Okay. That's, That's awesome. I didn't know it was making that much horsepower now. Wait, I think it's time for another drive. Yes, it is time for another drive. <laughs> and I'll let you drive my 128 horsepower Mazda Miata. We'll be right back, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, after a short <laughs> yeah. test drive. Yeah, or we won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a great car, clearly, from your perspective, from your owner experience. If talking to somebody today, if they were going to buy one as a used car, what are two or three reasons why they might want to own one? Well, the first reason is it's just great fun to drive. And that's always a great reason to buy any car, any vehicle. It's fun to drive. It's fun to drive. Whether you want to drive it conservatively or you want to drive it aggressively, it's a comfortable car to drive. We have cars in our garage going back to from 1959 to 2016. We'll talk about some of those uh, maybe later in this episode or certainly another time. And there's a substantial difference between the 2008 Saturn Sky and the older cars in terms of how they feel on the road. It is a very, very drivable automobile. It's not a daily driver for me. It's more of a after-work weekend fun car, and there are lots and lots of people who daily them. 
And I think as a daily, if you did have the automatic, it wouldn't be a bad choice. Absolutely not. As you know, as a just literally, I'm cruising to work, I'm cruising back, that sort of thing. I might actually recommend spend less and get the standard version. Don't even get the turbo. Save the turbo for the manual people. Don't save the money. Go get the <laughs> go get the turbo. <laughs> okay. The most limiting factor with the vehicle is space. Right. The trunk is about the size of a duffel bag, and it's you know you get two seats, and that's it. So you've got to be efficient. With Isn't it bigger though when the top is up? You have more space with the yes. top up. The rear flips open, sort of clamshell style, and the top folds into it. The top is a little bit more of an activity. You've got a Miata. The Miata Mm -hmm. is sort of, I'm sitting at the stoplight, and I'm going to throw the top down. Yeah, you can do that. You cannot do that in a Saturn Sky. The Saturn Sky, the trunk opens, the top unlatches, and it folds into the trunk. Is it an electric top, or is it manual? It is a manual top, which, when the car launched, there was a lot of grumbling about, well, it's not an electric top. Oh, boo-hoo. You have to use your hands. You have to use your hand. Oh, my goodness. You can't do it while you're driving down the road at 15 miles an hour. The upside for me, and it was not small, is way less to break, way less to fail, way less to go wrong. So you're an original owner, and you've had it for what? Since August of 2007. So you're coming up on 16, 17 years, right? You want to have less stuff to break, I don't mind having hand crank windows. I'm, I'm not going to have electric switches that fail over time. I'm not going to have electric motors that crap out. I've got a stupid hand crank window with a cable. I can easily replace that. There's parts for that. Same thing with your top. I wouldn't want to replace an electric top on like a Porsche Boxster. It's going to be a ton of money. You know? it certainly is. <laughs> you're going to be paying a guy. And some people do the work themselves, right? But I got a neighbor who did a top on his Miata. I have a new top for mine. I just haven't put it on yet. I've had it for two years. I'm an idiot. Anyway, I have to put it on now because just recently I was putting the top up. It was a cold day and I'm kind of stretching it a little bit and the window just went boom. It's plastic, right? It's a clear plastic. Well, it was clear at one point in time. Anyway, it just, it just popped. And so now I'm like, so now I have a hard top on the car, but the weather's getting better. So I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do this. And he wants me to, you know, Hey, let me help you do it. I'm thinking, you know what? There's a lot of stuff I'll do, but a convertible top, you've got to get it just right so it fits right and it looks right when you put the top up. So you really should go to an expert, and I'm going to do that. Yeah, he wouldn't want to spend that money. That would be, even if you did the work yourself, it'd be a couple thousand bucks. And, you know, if you let somebody else do it, it might be four or five grand with the electrics and the motors and that sort of thing. So, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. All right. So that's a good point. In terms of the driving, you know, some of the reasons people might want to have it, uh, they handle well. It's a good handling car. It's a good-looking car. A car that you want to have just in your garage and stare at, I do that. I'll go out in the garage, and I'll you know take a beer and just sit there and look at the car. And that seems weird to some people, but especially my wife. But I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not gambling or anything. I'm just in the garage staring at the car. And if you have a car that you like and you want to go look at it like that, that's great. And this is one of those cars. Every time I see it, I'm just like, I could just stare at it for 30 minutes and just go over the details and just kind of draw it all in. Yes, 100%. And to my eye, it's one of the very few convertibles I've ever seen that I like equally with the top up and the top down. I would agree with that. It does look good with the top up. It's almost got a, oh, how do I put this? It's like a, almost like a one-off kind of top. It's like a very unique top. 
Yes. Yeah. It looks like it was, you know, kind of a show car or something, right? Yeah, the the top has after you put the top up and latched the front edge of it, there are two on the Fiero we call them sail panels, two little fairings that kind of fold down on the back that give it little wings. Oh, right behind the seat. Right behind the seat. On both sides. Behind each door. It's kind of like those helmets that bike racers wear that kind of trail off yeah. down their back. Yeah, and yeah. it the only purpose of it is body lines and it really really makes a difference in the body lines and of course when it's when it's down and because it goes into the trunk you've got this beautiful trunk line with the fairings behind the passenger and driver's Mm -hmm. seat it's a gorgeous car and i can take the top down or up in 15 to 20 seconds i've done it at stoplights it's not a showstopper so does the the clamshell that opens is that electric no Oh, so you're able to lift it with your hand and... It's spring-loaded. Spring-loaded, So when okay. you push the release button, it pops up about six inches, eight inches, and then you can just lift it the rest of the way okay. up. But you can actually reach it from the seat to pull it back down? Oh, no, it's an outside... Oh, you have to get out. You have to. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. We're okay. out of the car here at the stoplight. <laughs> okay, it's, it's we're exploring the, old, the space you're a, fully. Yeah, you're doing a fire drill kind yes. of thing. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so what else? What are some other reasons why you might want to get one of these things? Well, I happen to think that they're a great performance value. And even though the prices have crept up in the last three or four years on these cars. But everything's gone up. Everything's gone up right. in the automotive world. Yeah. I mean, right? anything that runs and drives is up 20% over what it was three years ago. Let's say four or five years ago, pre-COVID, you could get a nice 50,000-mile Saturn Sky Redline under $10,000. Right. For sure. And I was telling people, go get one of these. It is a value. You're not going to lose money on this thing as long as you don't run it into the ground. Now, eh, they've crept up. They've crept up. They're 15, 17, 20. They're, They're definitely more expensive. But again, everything's more expensive. They're still a great performance value. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the driveline, because it's parts bin, we can get parts and pieces for it, even though it's a car that's been out of production since functionally 2009. Well, I'm sold. I wouldn't mind having one. Of course, I can just drive yours, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to come to my garage if you want to sit and look at it. Yeah, that's okay. I can do that. You have other cars I want to look at, too. So, (laughs) All right, well, let's dig a little bit into some of the details that maybe we haven't covered. Um, So on the Saturn Sky, not the Redline, that had a 2.4-liter engine. Correct. And it made, uh, according to my notes here, it's 177 horsepower and 173 pound-feet of torque. Um, decent car? Not so decent car? What do you think? Have you driven one? I have driven one. I Before I bought mine, I rented a 2.4 base and drove it. Okay. And I thought it was a great fun car okay. to drive. Did it have a manual or was it automatic? Seems like it'd be an automatic. I think it was an automatic. I don't recall that, but I'm thinking it was an automatic as a rental. So, I mean, if you think an automatic in that car was good, then the manual, it's the same transmission, right? Isn't it basically the same transmission between the two? Oh, between the, between the solstice and the sky? Uh, Between the sky and the sky red line. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe the gearing might be a little bit different or something, but yeah, same basic transmission. So um, according to 
My sources, 0 to 60 times back in the day were right around 7 seconds, 6.9, 6.8, which isn't bad. You know, it's entertaining enough. Quarter mile was like 15.2 at about 88 to 90 miles an hour. Um, braking was good. Handling was decent. Fuel economy, yeah, get about 20 in the city, 28 highway. What about the Saturn Sky Redline? What does that do? You're going to get about 32 miles per gallon on the freeway with that car. What? Less displacement. No turbo running. Oh, that's right. It's a 2-liter versus a 2.4. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't have to make power from non-turbocharged combustion. Have you opened up the exhaust on that? Is it a different exhaust than the factory exhaust? I'm sorry. Exhaust? Yeah. Oh, is there one? <laughs> we, my, the car now has a high-flow cat okay. and a straight-back exhaust. There's no muffler okay. on it anymore. But with the turbo, it's actually relatively quiet, in theory. The exhaust on it is a solo street race exhaust. Okay. Just pipes. And I think they did a masterful job of making a four-cylinder engine sound very, very good. I've I've started it up and left car shows and had people ask me if it was a V8 wow. in the car. Okay. I haven't heard it since then. I'm trying to think, when did I drive the car? It's been a few years. Well, we might have to correct that here. <laughs> After after another beer. Yeah, right. (laughs) Maybe another day. So it has a cat warm-up cycle when you first start it, and it's pretty loud at that point. Some people tune that out. You can change the tune on the car and remove that warm-up cycle. Does it increase the RPM a little bit or something? I actually don't know what it does. It's just substantially louder at first. And after 30 seconds... It quiets right down. And I can roll out of the neighborhood early in the morning without waking people up. But the real question is, do you like your neighbors? Because if you don't, that's perfect. The real question is, do I want my neighbors to like me? <laughs> oh, no. Never want your neighbors to like you. Come on. You want them to respect you. I, I, knew, I knew I was driving it correctly one day when I got home, and my wife told me that I'd been reported on next door for squealing the tires going around a corner. Oh, God. Really? Yeah. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> I just post that up all the time. Hey, this is Red Saturn driving around. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. Oh, people are weird, right? I mean, what? come on. Let it go. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you drive it like that. And, and I do remember when, when we took it out for driving again, it was before you did all these modifications. Um, we took the big kind of loop around the mountain that we live on. And I remember transitioning from one street to another. The light was green. Went around the corner and got on it. And the car kicked sideways a little bit and was a nice little toss and save. And I was like, wow, that just goes. It was great. So that was 260 horsepower and 260 pound-feet of torque then. And you're saying now it's more like 340 horsepower? Yeah, 340, 350, yeah. It also has RE71R autocross tires on it. I don't think it had those. At no, the time. it did, definitely did not have those. And that has made almost as much a difference as the power. Have upgrades. you done any track days with the car? I have not done any track days with the car because Are until, you feeling okay? Well, until this year, <laughs> most of the track day sponsors required roll cages oh, or bars. You don't want to put that in, in that convertibles. Car. And I certainly didn't want to put a roll bar in it. They've changed the rules this year. Do they make one for that car? Aftermarket only. Right, but it it's going to ruin the. It would be intrusive, look. and it would make it hard to get the top up, and yeah, it's not it's not something you I don't want to do that. No. Wanted to wanted to do to that car. I've thought about getting one, 
and setting it up to race. When I went to race school a year ago, there was a 2.0 turbocharged solstice there set up for racing. Oh, really? Okay. And it won its group, and they put it in the big bore group with the Corvettes and wow. the Factory 5 cars. I and- couldn't believe that, yeah. If it's making similar horsepower yeah. to what your car makes? Yeah. Now, it's not all the car. You know, the driver's important, too. Oh, and no, no. The car is the only thing. Come on. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. The first few years that those cars were out and racing in mm-hmm. SCCA, well, the first year, they ran the table. Just walked They away. won every race. and Was it like and, a factory-ish effort sort of thing? Yeah. There was, a, there was a homologation so that they, with some upgrades for the car, you know, suspension and sway bar and some things like that. Okay. that were available on the solstice because that's what they promoted as a race car. But it was so dominant in its initial class in SCCA that they moved it to the next class up the next year. And how did it do the next year? That's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm going to go find out. So they're, they're solid, solid cars. Uh, mechanically, I have had very, very few problems with the car, and I, I don't baby it. Okay, and that is actually a question I wanted to ask you. Are there any like long-term issues with these cars that people should be aware of? So, you know, sometimes the car will have like alignment issues and they'll wear through tires. Or they'll have like uh, the alternator goes out or the AC doesn't, you know, keeps losing its charge or whatever. Is there anything that's sort of like a consistent problem that people should be aware of if you're shopping for one? There are some internet resources, which if you look a little bit, you'll find them that have some great shopping guides. The early cars had an issue with the rear diff leaking. That got sorted out real quick. Okay. They really go through water pumps. Okay. My car at 16 years old has 33,000 miles on it, and I did. I had to do the water pump two years ago. Okay, so it, it's a timing belt on that car? It is a timing chain. Timing chain, okay. So you don't, I mean, the chain just stays. The chain stays... However, if you don't put the little sprocket tool on it, the tensioner will ratchet down, and you'll burn up the tensioner after you do the water pump. Do we know this from experience? Well, I know this, (laughs) yes. Fortunately, not my experience. This is the advantage of learning from the misery of others with these automobiles. It's the best way to learn. The problem really with the water pump, I did the water pump and the thermostat, and the two parts were $100. It also took me two full days in the garage. I think the book time wow. for it is 12 wow. hours. Wow. That's a, that really, it is buried in the car. It is under the, the book instructions say that the turbo should come off the car to get to the water pump, which involves the downpipe and a ton of other stuff. That's a ton of work. It is a ton of work. And creative folks have figured out a way to, get it done without removing the turbo. But you probably have to be like an asbestos octopus to get in there to reach all those things, right? I think that there are are really only about 20 fasteners to do the project, but there might be two that aren't heavily, heavily obstructed. Yeah, I might go with the whole take it apart thing because it sounds to me like it's the type of project that it's labor intensive as in it takes a long time, but it's not labor intensive as in it's hard to do the labor. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. The really, the only tricky part with it other than 
you know, how many 90 degree elbows can I put on my socket wrench at one time is making sure that the sprocket for the water pump doesn't slip. And there's a tool for it. There's actually a cover on the timing chain cover that comes off. This tool goes in, you bolt it to the sprocket so it won't move. Okay. Do the work. My my beef about doing work on cars is if I can't reach something clearly so I can do the work and, and you know tighten everything down to the correct tension, the correct torque, uh, it's really frustrating. And I'm like a founding member of the TTSA. The Tool Throwing Society of America. Oh, I belong to that. <laughs> you, yeah, okay. I didn't realize it, but now <laughs> I know. You're a card-carrying member? I belong, yes. yes. Uh, I get mad when I just start throwing stuff. I start throwing tools. I start throwing parts. I just get mad, and, and I have to go in the house and take a break. And that adds, like, so many cycles, so many hours of time to a project. So I'd rather just take it all apart and be able to get to it. So that would be frustrating if you had to take... You said the book time was 12 hours? I believe that's right, yes. Okay. So is that like the big thing? Is that like the big sort of... That's it. Okay. There, there not are bad. not any major other mechanical issues that crop up with these cars. There are some little things. The front end of the car is very low, and almost all of them have what owners call chin scrapes. Okay. Where mm-hmm. they've hit a parking curb. They will not clear parking curbs. <laughs> Yeah. Mine has chin scrapes. It happens. Uh, there are some parts that are hard to get. The hood mm. for this car, for the Saturn, was made on a hydroforming press. Oh, interesting. And when GM sold the Wilmington plant, closed it and sold it. And the Wilmington plant was the plant where Pontiac made the Solstice. Um, it was also where the Saturn Sky was made. Were there, other, there were other cars there, right? I think at the time it was just, they're collectively called the Kappas because that was what the the, GM called the platform. Yeah. Okay. I think it was just the Kappas being made there at the time. It was an enormous, enormous facility and they weren't using remotely close to all of it. Unfortunately, when they, when they closed it, they sold the high reforming press for scrap. And and it kind of makes sense because they were not only closing the factory, but they were closing down Pontiac they were closing down Saturn as brands. They they discontinued them at that point. Yep. So, yeah, you're. What are you going to do with that stuff? Well, I wish they'd made a few more hoods. Yeah, I I bet you do. There's some pieces like that that are hard to get. The fenders, if you want to call them fenders, they're about a 18 inch by 18 inch plastic body panel on the Saturn that sits behind the front wheels. It's very very common for shops that aren't familiar with these cars if you don't put lifting pucks on the bottom of the car on the rails when you lift the car the lift pads will impact the fenders and break them and the fenders are scarce yeah now because of this on the pontiac version that was a steel part and they don't seem to be as rare Hmm. interesting you can straighten them out on the saturn it's plastic and when it's broken it's really broken does anybody make a like a you know something from a 3D printer or a you know fiberglass matching. I'm not aware of anybody doing thing on, anything on a 3D printer. I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with Norm Vandermee. Norm has been in the fiberglass car body part world for decades. Okay. Uh, he made parts for Fieros and he made aftermarket parts for the Sky and the Solstice. Uh, in fact, the rear diffuser that's on my cart 
came from uh, Norm's oh, fiberglass. Came from okay. He makes some fenders. And I think there's a couple other vendors that make fenders. Okay. But they're not factory original. They're not factory original. They're not, yeah. And, it, you know, some people, that's not a big deal. Other people, that's more of a a big deal. So this is a brand that ended in, was it 2010? It was the last year of the Saturn cars? They were shut down in 2010. They were making, at the time, at least in the Solstice and Sky world, a handful of test 2010s. They were running some cars down the line. So if you find a 2010, that's a pretty rare car? Or will you even be able to find a 2010 They're out there. They're out there. They all got sold at auction as used cars, even though they had never been sold as new cars. Okay. Um, There are 45 of them. 45. Floating around out there. Okay. And they are valuable. I bet. They are valuable. Have you ever seen one? Not that they look any different, but have do you know anybody who has one? Or? I I know folks online who have one. Okay. I have never in person. I wonder one. if they bought them with the idea that they'd be worth something someday, or if it just was like, hey, here's a you know, because maybe at the time were they valuable at the time or considered valuable, or was it just more of yeah, we knocked a few more out. Here you go. I think that there was a little bit of both. I've paid pretty close attention to the community over the years, mm-hmm. with, of course, with the online forums. Back then, we didn't have Facebook so much. Right, yeah, or at all. And so I helped educate myself a little bit, and I paid attention to the whole process of, you know, you can't get the cars because everyone wants one, to, oh my gosh, the factory's going down to one shift because they don't want to sell cars. Let's remember what happened in 2009. Right, yeah. The Great Recession. Yeah, the Great Recession. Yeah, people weren't buying cars. And so my two-year waiting list that I was being quoted went to, you know, how many would you like at half price? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take six, please. I'll take six, exactly. Yeah. And so I've sort of followed along, and we saw that the that these 2010s were going to come up for sale, and they were auctioned. I don't know what kind of prices they fetched during the auction. Whatever it was, was likely impacted by what was going on in early 2010, the housing crisis in particular. Now when those cars come up, they are you know, two to three times the original value is what they sell for. Okay. I didn't see any in my searches over the last few days. So just curious. Yep. Yeah. I, I knew there was a 2010 model, um, but I had read that there was not many. So thanks for confirming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if you really want to see an interesting Saturn sky. Go out in the garage. The, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. The LeMay collection at Marymount. Oh, down in uh, Tacoma. No, not the big fancy museum. Oh, Marymount. But that's, the family collection. Yeah, that sounded someplace that has a lawn or something. It does have a lawn. In fact, it's at a former seminary, I think. Is it down near Tacoma? Tacoma, Washington. Yes, it's down near Tacoma, Washington. Okay. For those who aren't familiar, Harold Lucky LeMay at one point, had the largest private automobile collection on the planet. Wow. Much of it has been sold off to fund a very, very nice museum and restore some of the more precious vehicles. Right. A lot of what wasn't sold off, many thousands of cars are stored at the family collection in Marymount, including a very unique Saturn Sky that GM built as a full-scale cutaway rolling model. Oh, interesting. Is it functional? I mean, can you actually, does it run? Does it does it? not run because it doesn't have a real engine in it. Oh, the engine's cut away. It's cut away. Oh, okay. Yes. Wow. 
So you can see the cylinders and the water passages and the wow. suspension. And it, it is a very, very interesting vehicle. For anyone who's visiting from out of town, yeah, it, it's worth a trip down to Tacoma to see the main LeMay Museum and then get out to Marymount. And don't forget the Saturn Sky Cutaway is there. The Saturn Sky Cutaway. We'll have to go see that. So let's talk a little bit about pricing. Um, I, do you keep up with current prices? Do you pay att- any attention to that? I do pay attention really for all of the uh, weird little two-seat cars that we own. I, I sort of keep <laughs> my thumb on the pulse of what they're selling for out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me let me just give you some price ranges and you tell me if I'm an idiot, can't do it, or you know maybe you could find a car in that price range. So way down on the low end, $5,000 to $8,000. Yes, you can find them in that range. Now, you might not found, find a turbo, and it might be a daily driven car that is patinaed. <laughs> Patina is a nice way of putting it, maybe? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about a, a wreck either. Mm-hmm. This is a car that you could get in and drive and have fun. And if you wanted to spend some time with a buffing wheel, sure. you could make the paint sparkle a little <laughs> bit more. Okay. You now, it might have maybe a little faded on the, you know, the top might be edging toward gray instead of black. Okay. Okay. But absolutely, I think you can you can find a used one in that range. So I found one today, and it was actually a Saturn Sky Redline. I don't have it in front of me. I think it was it was under ten thousand and it was silver with black seats with a red inset. Absolutely. That was my second choice, actually. And it's a good looking car. Uh th- this particular car has Patina. Patina, yes, yes it has a lot of patina. <laughs> <laughs> smeared with patina um but it did run and i was kind of like it was intriguing because i don't know i i kind of like you know i'll sure i'll buy and save the old dog why not it looked like a car that you could just get in and drive it and you know if somebody hit it in the parking lot with a shopping cart you wouldn't probably care too much gary and i will be right back with this car <laughs> absolutely um all right, let's look at another price range, 8000 to 12000 Yeah, I mean, I guess if you can find one in that $8,000 range, you know, sub 8000 you can find one in that eight. To sure, but in terms of, like, would it be the kind of car that you would want to own? Well, for what purpose, I guess. I, it's, I wouldn't trade the one I have for it. No, I think your car is probably closer to 20000 or more. Well, with the modifications, I mean, who knows, right? Sometimes those make it go up and sometimes those make it... Sometimes they make it go, go down. down. I would say in this particular case, it makes it go up because if I know you and I know the kind of modifications you would do, you would only do the stuff that would be desirable that most people would look at and go, oh, I really want to do X. I know people who like, I want to put new shocks on my car and they'll find something cheap through... You know, if there was a J.C. Whitney catalog still around, then they'd probably do that. Does J.C. Whitney still exist? That's a really good question. Maybe I'd, one of your listeners can let us know, <laughs> if, know. if they've bought anything from J.C. Whitney lately. Yeah, but that was a big thing when you know that back a, in the day. That was a thing, wasn't it? With the with the unbelievably thin pages in the cat, like the paper oh. was so thin you could see through it. Oh, it was terrible. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Wow. And I, I think some of the parts were kind of terrible too. But uh, yeah, I mean, you'd go there and you get cheap stuff, but you wouldn't do that sort of thing. So I bet that that's on the upper end. Now, I did see some cars in that eight to $12,000 range that um, were acceptable. Now, you see a lot more of the regular uh, Saturn Sky, the 2.4 liter non-turbo model. Um, and there were some manual transmission cars and there were some cars that were... You know, they had 70,000 miles. They look good. 
if you want something like that, you could get a decent car in that range. Uh, 12000 to 15000 Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. You're, now you're getting into the... I'm always trying to push value on the podcast. Sort of like, what's the best combination of price versus what you get back in terms of the look, the performance, the the, the condition of the car, right? And I think in that particular range, between twelve and fifteen, you're going to find some really good cars. Absolutely, and I like any used car, especially a sports car. Caveat emptor, right? <laughs> yes, let do the a compression beware. test, do a leak down test. Sure. Think about the things we've talked about already in the podcast. Put your hand underneath the front end of it. Has it got chin scrapes? Put your hand underneath the fenders. Are the fenders cracked? Ask if the water pump has been done. The water pump is a $2,000 project. If you have a dealership, do it. Find out. When was the water pump done? If the car has 80,000 miles on it, either the water pump has been done or plan to spend $2,000 almost immediately. But if, you know, if the thing has been treated reasonably well, yeah, I think you can totally find a great Saturn Sky, even a Redline, in that price range. I would say, too, on top of that, because these cars are, they didn't make a lot. They made about 35000 34000 34000 okay. Uh, so they didn't make a lot of cars, and they tended to be a second or third vehicle for a lot of people. So they didn't get a lot of use. Your car has how many miles? Under 33000 <laughs> Yeah, come on. I mean, it's like nothing. It's like a brand new car. It's like a two-year-old used car, people putting 15,000 miles a year on their car. So they're going to be in great shape. So most of the things that might wear out if you were having, you know, driving at 100,000 miles or 150,000 miles, you're not going to be experiencing that, with the exception of this, apparently, the water pump. Water so, pump. Yeah. Did water I mention pump. the water pump? Yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. We talked about that. That's a sore subject for me because... I had the turbo out the year before to do the upgrade, and I looked down at the water pump, and I thought, "Mm, the car only has 29,000 miles on it. Some people get 50,000 out of the water pump. I'm just going to put it back together. Wrong answer. (laughs) And the next summer, a buddy came down the driveway to uh, help me out on a project in the garage, and he said, hey, did you know that there's a river of fluid running out from underneath the Saturn at the top of the driveway? And I knew immediately what it was. And it was summer. It was it was summertime when this car gets its miles. I did not want to wait. I no. ordered the parts. It was all set up to do it the next weekend. Any guesses what weekend it was, Gary? Uh, probably a race weekend for you. Well, it was not. I wish it was a race weekend. It was the weekend that with the highest recorded temperatures ever. Oh, God, that In weekend. Seattle. Yes. It was like 110 or something. It was 111 degrees at this house. Nice. For those of you who don't know Seattle, when I moved here in 91, the airport had never hit 100 degrees. Oh, really? 111 degrees in Seattle is like minus 20 in Tucson, Arizona. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And so I'm out in the garage that weekend. It didn't happen before then, anyway. Right, exactly, until then. And it just happened to be the weekend that I was out in the garage trying to change this water pump, both Saturday and Sunday. And I was coming in the house where, at that point, we didn't have air conditioning, to cool off because the kitchen (laughs) was only 90 degrees. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, I spent spent Monday morning after that adventure in the garage at my desk here in the house with my feet in a bucket of ice water, trying to stay cooled off. So you did get it done. Oh yes, you actually did it. I got it. I got it done. I started Saturday morning, and I, you know, was 
two, three hours in the garage and then come in and cool off and get a little ice water. And by Sunday evening, when I was finishing it up, I was maybe spending 20 minutes out there and then come in the house for an hour to cool off. Well, you're a better man than me. I I would have, all the windows in our garage would have been broken because a tool would have gone flying through them. Well, see, my garage doesn't have any windows anymore. (laughs) What are you saying? (laughs) You didn't throw any tools (laughs) or you did and there's no windows. There's no record. We'll never know. Yeah. So that, yeah, my, my energy about the water pump is, is, uh, enhanced. I I don't blame you. Based on that. But but that's good news for people. I mean, not good news that you had a problem, but good news that they know that that is a major issue and that it costs a lot. It is a major issue. It costs a lot. And it's not like, you know, it tends to throw rods or burn out bearings or the transmission goes out at 50,000 miles. This is... A water pump is a pretty benign sort of thing unless you keep driving it after all the waters come out of it. And and if you do that, you know what you are. You're a person shopping for another $12,000 Saturn Sky. You're a moron. (laughs) (laughs) You're a moron if you do that. So It does have a very, very good low water sensor. There's actually a sensor in the overflow tank. Oh, really? Yep. And okay. if it gets down below that, boy, the idiot light comes on in the well, dash. Maybe they, maybe they knew that there was a problem with the water pump. They, well, maybe they did know there was a problem. There are mm-hmm. many, many discussions about what causes that issue, up to and including blaming GM's fancy Dex Cool coolant. Really? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Haven't heard that one. But the proximity to the turbocharger may oh, also that, yeah. contribute to the to the the early failures but i you know again i it's easy to harp on that a little bit i i just really want to emphasize that you know when i get in that car in the summertime or frankly in the winter time and head out with a top down i have a smile on my face the folks that own them talk about permagrin because that's what you're doing when you're driving that car you just got a big smile on your face a couple years ago when you we were talking about the prices were considerably lower I remember looking at those then. I think you and I had a conversation about this. I was like, why are people just snapping these things up? Because they were so inexpensive. And even now they're inexpensive relative to the market. But I just thought, this isn't crazy good performance value. And it's a great looking car. The only beef, the only thing I would say that I think has come up over time for a lot of people is just that storage you know, the amount of storage you have in the car. So if you're going to take a long trip somewhere, you don't have a ton of room to put like clothing for a week to go someplace. But when was the last time you went and drove some that for a week to go on a trip? And yeah, I've, I've driven it to Bend, Oregon and back. Okay. And because we we bought it in San Jose yeah, in August of 2007, we flew down there. You drove it home. Yep. The dealer picked me up at the lot, went and got the car. I drove south with my wife to my buddy's house in Monterey, and then we spent the next two days after that driving all the way up the California, Oregon, Washington coast. And you got plenty of room for the clothes for that kind of a trip. It was fine. And I know people who have taken bigger trips with them. They get creative. They pack a box of clothes, and they ship it to some place that they're going to be, like a hotel midway. Okay. And when they get there... They got a box of clean clothes. They put the dirty clothes in the box and ship it home. Ship it home. Well, I actually saw some luggage that's fitted to fit in the back. There's like a, it's three pieces. There's one larger chunk of luggage that fits between the rear bulkhead and there's this kind of hump or something. In we the call trunk. it the Mayan Tower. It's actually the gas tank. It's the gas tank. Okay. It fits in that gap. And then to the side, on either side, there's a smaller space and there's two little bags for that. 
And the bag set was like $120. And I thought, well, this, that'd be my first purchase if I got one of these things. If you're going to do any traveling. Because then you, you know exactly what you can pack and what you can't. Because it will fit in that space. That's a really good idea. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. They, they did design the car so that you could put a small set of golf clubs back there. Yeah, there is enough space across there. Small set. Yes, this is not, you know, Tiger Woods Masters no. with a caddy set of clubs. This no. is a small set of yeah. clubs, which, yeah. you know, when you play golf like I do, it doesn't really matter which club you're swinging. So I could go with <laughs> one or two, and it would not change the score. Right. Yeah. But yes, absolutely. It is. It, it gets talked about a lot. I, I think that it's a little bit of a tempest in a teapot. It's really just not that big a deal. Right. Well, especially now that we've moved 16, 17 years beyond the point of these cars being introduced and people like, you know, complaining about that. I own a Miata. The trunk's tiny on that car. You, you can't get a lot of stuff in that. So, and besides, who wants to drive one of those all the way across the country? My wife and I drove it you know, like a couple of hours up to see the Tulip Festival and you know, by the time we got back home, four hours later, five hours later, we were, you know, hair windblown, sort of like, uh, that wasn't fun. <laughs> it is an outdoor experience. Yes. It is an outdoor experience. Um, they're quite comfortable, actually. I have a aftermarket wind deflector hmm. in the back. That keeps it from kind of Keeps the air from coming around. over the windshield and sort of circling back and coming into the cabin. And with the windows up, and the wind deflector, I've driven that car in 18-degree weather, 15-degree wow. weather with the heat on. Now, the heat in that car, you could cook eggs. The really? heat blows so hot in that car. Absolutely. I'm going to try this. Inferno. I'm going to make heat. you take it out on a cold day, and we'll cook an egg. We will cook an egg. <laughs> I, we'll get back to you on that podcast. Mm-hmm. We'll cook something. <laughs> Cooking eggs with Gary. And you can drive it when it's raining a little bit. The ninety nine percent of the moisture goes right over the top. There's so a little bit that comes in off of the door, the window seal. A little mist is okay. Yeah, a little yeah. drip here and there. We've had it out in that not very often in the rain, but a few times we've gotten caught. And you yeah. just just kept going. We'll just keep going, right? Unless it's a downpour. Yeah. How long can the rain last? It's Seattle. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been great to uh, get a sense of what this car is all about. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Oh, truly my pleasure. One thing I do want to mention, too, is that you are a participant in vintage racing here in the Seattle area. Is that right? Occasionally. 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 When your car's working. <laughs> yes. Yes. Last year was my first year, and it was the first year for my 1959 Austin Healey Sprite H production race car since 1985. Wow. So there was a lot more working on the car last year during race season than racing the car. More wrenching than driving, yeah. There was definitely a lot more wrenching Welcome than Welcome to driving. racing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so I'm told. But we, we think we're around the corner a little bit on some of this stuff now, and uh, race season's coming up here in a couple of weeks, and looking forward to... You get a race coming up uh, April 22nd, 21st? April 22nd and 23rd. Okay. Pacific Raceways in Kent, Washington. Uh, we love to have... Folks come down and watch the races. And that's Sovereign? Is that what it is? The Society of Vintage Racing Enthusiasts. Sovereign is our Pacific Northwest Vintage Racing Group. Come on down, see us. If you uh, buy a ticket to come in, you also get to come in and walk around the paddock. Please come in to the paddock. That's probably one of the best things, is just to go around and you know look at the cars up close, uh, talk to the people, because people are just sitting there in their lawn chairs waiting for somebody to come by and talk to them. Just stop by and say hello. 
the vast majority of the drivers are very, very approachable, very, very friendly. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. And if you're sitting out there and you have a car that is more than 25 years old, 25 years old or older, that car is qualified for vintage. You can race, prepare it, and come out and race us. I've been trying to get somebody in my Fiero club to put a Fiero race car together and come out and race vintage with us. I don't think I've seen one out there. Is there is there one or two out there? No? No, not in vintage. Okay. Not in vintage. So, yeah, we got we got our fingers in a lot of different car parts here lately. Well, Lauren is a busy guy, and he's got a lot of cool cars. Definitely check out that uh, racing series, Sovereign, out at... Uh, Pacific Race. I always want to call it Seattle International Raceway because I used to road race motorcycles years ago, and it was SIR. And Pacific Raceway always throws me. It's like it was is- SIR forever. I always call it SIR too. It's easier to say than Pacific Race. When did they change it to Pacific? It's been a while. It, it has. It has been a while. A great place. You can come out and watch some races, and then you can go right next door and race go karts on a great outdoor go kart track. Right next door. So definitely check that out. Hey, thanks again for uh, joining us to talk about the Saturn Sky Red Line. The Saturn Sky in, in general, but the Saturn Sky Red Line specifically. When we get a chance to, the two of us, to go out and drive your car again, I'll report back in how fast it really is. I think we were going to leave here pretty quick in my car to go get yours, if I, if I recall the conversation <laughs> Is that what we're correctly. doing? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, thanks again, Lauren. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. So if you've been considering a convertible for your sunny day adventures, put a Saturn Sky on your bucket list. Its highest performing variation, the Saturn Sky Redline, came with a 5-speed manual transmission along with 260 horsepower and 260 pound-feet of torque stocked from the factory. And that's a lot of go from a seductive-looking drop top that will still return over 30 miles per gallon on the highway. So definitely check it out. Also, thanks for listening to this episode of Better Than New. And if you like what you've heard, but you still haven't found your perfect convertible yet, you might want to check out Episode 5 or 26 on the Mazda Miata or Episode 27 on the Jeep Wrangler TJ. While it's not a great handling roadster like the Saturn Sky, the Wrangler does have a convertible top that you can put down for some sunny day off-road 4x4 fun. And with that, be sure to join me next week for another look at a cool used car, truck, or SUV available at a price you'll love. And until then, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.